0: Hi, Jessica. Welcome to Web3 Digital Marketing Entrepreneur Podcast. It's so great to have you here. So please tell a little bit about yourself and how you started uh, You know your journey in this metaverse space
1: and everything. Oh, well, that's probably a longer conversation than we have time for, but um, I appreciate being here and love having these conversations. I am a licensed psychologist by trade and oh, we're getting close to about 20 years ago now. I started to really look into and explore the value of incorporating digital tools into mental health treatment. Uh, I am a registered play therapist, and that means that I have a specialty of working with children and utilizing their language of play and their natural inclination and interest in engaging in play. But it doesn't mean that it's only children who play, right? We yeah. we adults, we love to play. It can be something as overt as as a game video or otherwise. It can be uh, banter. It can be something active. We, we human beings love to play. So mm-hmm. taking my interest and in knowledge of play and putting that together with my acknowledgement and interest and knowledge in the digital realm, I... Said we really need to explore what value is here, and that led me to a whole host of different topics and different hardware and software and mm-hmm. utilizations and diagnoses and all of that. So, so I come through this in in very much a, a by way of interest and passion.
0: Got it, and you know, uh, so. I'm really a firm believer of this, uh, foundations because, uh, for example, you know, the main reason why I started a podcast back in 2017 was I had a heartbreak and I was like, you know, I need to find a way to, you know, push myself. So I started a podcast. Uh, but as a psychologist, I'm sure you would have some sort of foundation for, you know, why you started it or something that triggered you to, you know, pursue this path. Uh, Is there anything as such?
1: Oh, absolutely. So really, it was my own children. Mm. And initially, so, so I'm not going to publicly broadcast my age, but I am not young. And I did not grow up with all of this. I am not a digital native. So I remember the days when we didn't have answering machines, when the phone rang. And if you didn't pick it up, you didn't know who it was. She didn't know what was happening. Um, So I didn't come by this of way of, of it's just part of my life and I'm, I'm just incorporating it. I actually like that very much because it means that I was able to look at it more objectively and say, what is the value here? What, what is really, what are the human components? What does this speak to as, as human beings? So when my children were young, Uh, I have four children total, and the oldest is close to 26. Mm. When he was young um, and his closest sibling, they had interest in different games that I didn't understand. Mm. And so they were talking about RuneScape, and the two of them would just have these grand conversations in the back of the car on the way home from school where you know whatever it might be at home and I one didn't completely understand a lot of what they were talking about didn't understand why it was so interesting to them didn't couldn't participate in the conversations and yet they had such excitement and Interest in this. I thought I need to learn more about this, even at a parental level. I need to know more about what my children are engaging in. Mm-hmm. And so I made an account and I joined the game, and not to hover over them or intrude or anything, I asked them, I talked to them about it. They thought it was fantastic that I wanted to learn more. And as I went in, I started to notice a couple of things. One, I was Experiencing why, at least to a small level, because I will be completely honest. and my clients, if they hear this, will be giggling because I am not very good at a lot of these games. And and, and want, on some level, it doesn't matter.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I, I go in, I explore, I understand. I can have the conversations. When my children would be in the back seat talking about it, I would be able to at least yeah. understand, if not include myself uh, sometimes we would co-play so we would be in there together multiplayer you know online MMO so I I was able to enter their world in a way that I hadn't been able to before and I thought look at all the value there is for my own children and my relationship there has to be value for my clients for the families for the relationships that are happening all over, mm-hmm. no matter the age and no matter who it is. So that really sent me off on this journey.
0: Wow. Yeah, that's pretty interesting. And uh, you're really cool that, you know, you wanted to learn the gaming part of you know what your children does, because um, I, I really can imagine that whenever I am playing this Grand Theft Auto, GTA, and uh, mm-hmm. my mom, she will be, uh, it was back in my school days. And my mom will be asking me, when will you come and have dinner? And I'll like, I'll just die right now with, but by the police and then I'll come. Why do you always say I have to die? I have to die. Why can't you <laughs> quit the game and come? So it's pretty interesting and really cool, you know, uh, to get to know about that, uh, you know, games and stuff. And, you know, you mentioned that, uh, you know, your children started to work on the you know, VR stuff and everything. I've been seeing a lot of um, like reports and news that VR has been used on uh, elderly people, like, you know, some mm-hmm. people there don't, who don't, you know, who couldn't go out and stuff. But this is the first time kind of hearing, you know, VR being uh, used for the children's health and stuff. Would you care to come, you know, tell a little bit more about how it's being used and, you know, anything that's new happening in the field?
1: Oh, well, absolutely. I mean, virtual reality, really under the heading and umbrella of extended reality. So mm-hmm. virtual reality, mixed reality, augmented reality, uh, there's so much growth happening in in all of those directions. And I'm really interested to see how it's going to expand in the next years. In regards to mental health, particularly, virtual reality, let's just hone in on that one. Virtual reality can be used with all ages. I have clients of all ages and and have had great success using it in a number of different situations and arenas. I think the key thing about it for me, what it boils down to, because I'm, I'm very much a person who likes to identify components of things. What are the cornerstones? What are the, if you, if you distill it down to the least common denominator, what are mm. those pieces that really uh, are critical? And so in this, what I, one of the things I've distilled it down to is that the opportunity to And be completely immersed Mm. in an environment, your brain, your body, your everything believes you're in that environment. So much so that when I teach other therapists how to use virtual reality in mental health treatment, I had a client, I mean, not a client, I'm sorry, a a, a student who Mm. in the middle of the class, you could see him in his headset and he was taking off his controllers and went to put them on a shelf. And there was no shelf. The shelf was what he could see in the headset, but physically there wasn't a shelf to put his controllers on. And he took his headset off and started to giggle because he's like, I really believed that shelf was there. That's just a, a little minor example of how much your mind and body believes that the environment you're in is what you're actually experiencing. And if we extend that out at any age to the ability to have the mind and body in an environment that could be purposely chosen and in, engaged with in a way that helps further their mental health process, that is phenomenal. Because historically, over hundreds of years, psychology has been Either relay to me what's in your mind. Mm. Relay to me. Tell me what that looks like. What does that feel like? Yeah. My brain then has has to interpret what you've just told me. So mm. it's it's so many generations. It's what you actually see in your head, experience in your body and your mind and your everything, right? Then you have to change it into and translate that into language. Mm and we're not even talking about if if it's a second language for somebody (laughs) or a third language, we're talking about just translating it into language, then expressing that verbally to another person who then hears it auditorily, goes Mm -hmm. into their ears, then their brain has to process the language and turn it into something visual or experiential. Mm -hmm. There are so many steps along, it's like the game of telephone. There are so many steps along that way that could be interpreted differently than what that person's initial experience or visualization is. In virtual reality, we have the ability to translate the needs of the clients into environments and experiences that help them have a more powerful and therefore um, impactful experience. In their hmm.
0: mental health journey. Interesting, and you know the point that you mentioned about the uh, your student like couldn't actually believe that you know there was no shelf there. So <laughs> I- imagining you know in previous psychology there were like hypnotisms and you know there were like clocks like you know the sticking and stuff and watches and so is, is this kind of the same stuff but in a virtual reality where I mean I'm not saying that you're you know like uh, therapists are hypnotizing people. But, you know, in a way that they're kind of improving their thoughts towards the world. Because um, I've had a couple of VR developers in my show and they mentioned that when a new person is put in the VR headset and they'll feel motion sickness or, you know, dizziness kind of feelings. Because their brain can't actually process that, uh, you know, you're, th- you're not actually there, but you feel like you're there and you're moving forward. So, you know... Uh, It doesn't have any side effects, this VR stuff. I mean, a lot of people definitely ask this because I was about to buy a VR headset. In the Indian market, it's pretty new. It's really, really new. And uh, there's not actually not a lot of service centers here. So I'm really hesitant to invest that much amount right now into that. But Mm -hmm. when when my mom Googled it, she was like, you lose eyesight, you lose dizziness. She just listed a lot of things, you know. So what do you think the VR side effects are? Anything that's caused a major problem at least?
1: So my my response to that is is multi-layered. So yeah. backing up again to these cornerstones that I I like to to distill things to into is that in I wrote a book a couple of years ago called Digital Play Therapy mm-hmm. and in that book I talked about what I termed technopanic. Mm-hmm. So we have historically uh, we have terms like moral panic. And I turned that, take, took some of those aspects and turned it into techno panic. So basically the idea of that is throughout the time of human beings, anytime something is new, there yeah. are concerns. It could be to the point of, of uh, we have a, I, I'm sure there's some, other version of it in every culture, but like Chicken Little, you know, just running through the the town, mm-hmm. like the town crier of yeah. this is danger, 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 right? So there are important aspects of that. It is phenomenally important, and I keep saying that word, but it's so important for us to look at all sides of something. Mm-hmm. Nothing is going to be the end all be all of everything. And we must analyze anything new to determine even if it's not in, say, a mental health treatment, just the general use, right? Mm -hmm. So initially when virtual reality became more of a household term after it was um, brought more into commercialization Mm -hmm. and it wasn't a a whole room like uh, Sutherland's, I don't know if you've seen the sort of the the whole room thing that looked like this big, octopus on someone's head it's just heavy and all of that but once we became more commercialized there were a lot more conversations about simulation sickness which is Mm -hmm. what you're describing with that that nausea or the you know the queasiness of the movement and whatnot we've come so far in that i'm not saying nobody gets simulation sickness any longer but for development and then also the headsets themselves there are so many things to mitigate that it's basically mm-hmm. like when you're in a car, if you're looking forward versus looking to to at the side window, yeah. your your vestibular system has to catch up and and recognize what the movement means and how that gets translated in the brain. And if it if it if it doesn't match up, then you're going to feel that queasiness. Things like how quickly somebody moves or what type of movement they have, the locomotion in virtual reality will make a big difference in those kinds of things. Um, And then again, the optics and the the audio and how things match up or don't, our brains don't like it when things don't match up. So the more we can make them match up, the less those kinds of things are gonna happen. I think it's important for people to explore. For me personally, I'll give an example. So in locomotion, There's smooth locomotion, which basically is like, you're on a hoverboard and you're just gliding across. Mm. And then there's teleportation. And there are a couple different kinds of that, but basically that I use my controller, there's an arc and and an indicator of where I'm gonna land. And when I let go of my, my trigger, then I land there. It's sort of like, boop, I just transported right over there. For me personally, and this is not true for everybody, Smooth locomotion does not do good things for me. Mm. I end up feeling dizzy. I end up not feeling well. No matter how slowly I go, no matter whatever, it just doesn't match up for me. But if I teleport, I have no problem whatsoever. So I always advocate, go into the settings on on your headset itself, go into the the settings on any software, look what's possible, adjust where is necessary try out the different things, and that will help you figure out what works for you. For me, teleportation all the way. I don't even mess with the smooth locomotion. I go straight in, change my settings, all good. Uh, then the other things like the eyes, and there are some some thoughts about like the weight of the headset for the mm-hmm. neck. You can find information in both directions. Dr. Skip Rizzo out of USC, I just went to a conference a couple of weeks ago in Philadelphia, and he was talking about studies that show pretty definitively that it is not the the um, optics or the distance or any of that that is the concern. They were looking particularly for children. Hmm. that is it's it's not the the eye itself and the the um physical headset that is the concern it's the content so so those those very interesting findings that that have been coming out from ophthalmologists so that was actually an ophthalmologist Hmm. who had done the study um and so I I think these things are things for us to absolutely look at. And I think that we have to keep in mind that there is a level of techno panic, which mm. can bring us to the point of making either not so great analyses because we jump on the bandwagon and we don't really look further into it. Mm. Or, which is my preferred method, is that we take those and look into them further, which is exactly what this study that uh, Dr. Rizzo was talking about was basically, hmm, this has been a, a stated concern. Let's look that into that further and determine whether or not there is some merit there. So
0: content, as you mentioned, like, you know, from the research, like what sort of content uh, is actually there? can you possibly explain for you? That?
1: Oh, well, they, again, we're speaking particularly about children. And mm-hmm. so it's it's what kind of software is available, you know, and what kind of software they're going to have access to. Uh, what kind of interactions they're going to have, mm. those kinds of things, just like we would with any 2D video mm. game as well. You know, there, like you were talking about GTA earlier, there are some parents who will decide that their children aren't old enough or mature enough to play that game. And at some point they... They might be, depending on the family values and whatnot. So that's what I mean, the content is. And, and I I just brought up GTA because you did. I'm not trying to pick on any <laughs> certain program or, or anything. I, I, I'm I more saying that for children, it is a family value conversation. Hmm. And paired with that is, in my opinion, the importance of parents actually and caregivers actually experiencing the programs themselves instead of listening to societal anything and making determinations from that you know we don't want to say oh i heard xyz that game is horrible like for instance Fortnite. for mm-hmm. a while there's so much conversation about Fortnite, like all of how bad Fortnite is and and yes it is a first person shooter like there are are things about that But there are also a lot of really valuable things that can happen in Fortnite, And for particular clients, I have found that to be an amazing tool to use in therapy. So, but I didn't know that until I tried it for myself. And that really was the important key piece. And then there are other games or programs that I'll try. And I'm like, "Mm, I don't really see the therapeutic value in it Except for the idea that uh, we are entering into our client's world and listening to the things that are important to them, but the actual like use of it mm. in a session, I think that really uh, has more to do with the the um, therapeutic goals and and those type of conversations.
0: Makes sense. And, you know, one point you mentioned that I want to follow up uh, is that uh, the commercialization of the VR headsets, to be honest, uh, this VR market, you know, has been, um, you know, online for a really long time, to be honest, you know, like every other technology. But since uh, Facebook, uh, you know, converted their, you know, whole business model into this VR side, uh, the growth or, you know, the visibility of that market has been growing enormously. So before this happening, like Facebook changing the name to Meta or, you know, virtual reality, how was the VR in healthcare market? I mean, you, I'm sure you have been there for a pretty long time. I mean, was it like uh, really still booming, uh, you know, compared to now or was it like really in a normal phase?
1: So, I mean, way back when, most of the the virtual reality use was really in military. Hmm. And that is like, you know, the... The, the early days, decades and decades ago, so it it had it, once it grew out of that, and then it started getting in more into the research and academic arenas, and then and then, as you're saying, it grew into the com- more commercial market. Mm-hmm. The when so my uh, husband and I have a product called Virtual Sand Tray, and it's mm-hmm. it's basically taking an almost hundred year old technique that's used in therapy, and giving it a, a digital um, platform to be used. And so in about 2015, I said to my husband, this really needs because we started in 2011. And this really needs to be in, in VR. Like I just wholeheartedly think that that we need to, to put it in VR. And at the time when I would speak about that, people would look at me like I had three heads. Why? What are you talking about? We aren't even wanting to incorporate digital anything, and you're talking—that's 2D. And they wouldn't even use those terms, but I'm using them here. That—that's computer or tablet or something like that. Now your virtual reality are what? You're completely bonkers. And I could just see people's faces if I would be in like a, a some sort of a presentation or something I was doing. So initially, particularly with mental health, things are very slow to change. The funny thing is, is I, I read a book from the 1930s where the author said mental health practitioners are very slow to change. And that was in the 1930s. <laughs> That's almost 100 years ago. and yeah. And the statement is still true today. And I believe wholeheartedly that that has a lot to do with practitioners not wanting to do any harm. Mm. They want to make sure that the what they're introducing to their clients and in session actually is healthy, is beneficial, yeah. is uh, all, all the things, that, all the protective things. And, and I think that it comes from often a place of wanting to make sure they're doing no harm and that they're actually doing good for their clients. I also think because of the digital divide where we have people who were not brought up with these tools and whatnot, there's a lot of, of fear and there's a lot of uh, unknown. Mm-hmm. And so not only the part about the client and making sure the client is taken care of, but also the part for the for the clinician themselves, is just like, mm, I don't feel comfortable. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to incorporate it well. And so you have some pushback in a couple of different directions. Of course, then the pandemic came yes. and and then things had to change so quickly in so many ways. I don't know that a lot of people were doing VR therapy during the pandemic because a lot of cli- uh, therapists were and clinicians were just adjusting to <laughs> everything else about it. I was holding VR groups and mm. we would all meet in our headsets. I was using VR in my individual sessions. So I was on that path, but not many or many people were. Now you can see it growing quite a bit. Is yeah. it slow? Yes. Is it small? Yes. But it is exponentially larger than it was even in 2015,
0: 2016. Yeah, I, I can pretty much feel that because um, so I've been writing a lot of blogs, you know, regarding this VR and metaverse you know, and healthcare. I mean, uh, the main reason why I wanted to enter this space is because when I uh, since I'm a digital marketer by nature. So but I work in a Web3 company. So that company, you know, de- deals with Metaverse and everything. And um, when we, uh, you know, explored that Metaverse area, I found that the collection of data that a VR headset can do is pretty amazing. Like how much, you know, understanding the, you can get from uh, being in a VR world. I mean, mostly people, you know, use focus groups and stuff like that. But today, you know, there's nothing like that. Today, like everyone wants to do, do Zoom, but Zoom has been like, you know, it's it's been created into a bad word, you know, for Zoom fatigue, like it created into a verb sort of thing. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that, that's one of the reasons why it was pretty interesting for me to explore this area. And the COVID, like you mentioned, it uh, literally, you know, messed up a lot of people's uh, mental health and uh, using Zoom. And a lot of people became therapists themselves. So, uh, in that area, I, uh, one thing I want to clarify is, you mentioned that clinicians, clinicians you know, are even afraid to take this forward, like, you know, because they don't sometimes know what they're doing it. Is there any particular course or, you know, things, certificates that they need to do in order to take this VR and incorporate it in their normal therapy?
1: I, I think that anytime a clinician brings something new into their practice, whatever that might be, whatever kind of technique or modality or, or anything, uh um, our, i would imagine this is true most parts of the world our ethical guidelines require us to become competent in whatever that is and so how do we acquire competence typically that is through education of some sort that is training that is reading that is research And I don't mean conducting research in a lab. I mean, researching, look, looking, reading the articles, um, finding out as much information as you can, rabbit hole, deep diving into the different components that come up for you as I have a question about this. Like you said, I have a question about what are these, what's the impact on the eyes? Um, What is this simulation sickness? I want to learn more and more about that so that Either you can uh, mitigate those mm. different concerns, you can understand them better so that if, if you need to give informed consent, you want to say to your client, this could happen, that could happen, you know, any, any of those concerns, you want to be knowledgeable mm. in those arenas before you bring anything into your clinical practice and using something of a digital nature is no different.
0: Got it. Got it. Cool. So before moving on to the final section, uh, this is a question I always ask my guests and kind of an out of the box stuff. So is it morning (laughs) or evening there? Uh, What time is it?
1: It is late morning.
0: Late morning. Okay. Okay. So the question is uh, who was actually the last person that you made smile yesterday?
1: Last person I made smile yesterday. Well, if you'd asked me today, which you didn't, so I'm going to give you both answers. But if you'd asked me today, uh, I have, uh, for the last seven months, I have been acting as the chief psychology officer for a virtual reality company. And I can't speak to what we're working on because it's, you know, high secret and all of that kind of stuff. But the company is called Ascendant VR. And just a couple of hours ago, we had a meeting with someone I had worked with previously in the past. And I think we all left that meeting with big smiles on our faces because something we've been wrestling with um, looks like it's going to be able to get managed. So I think I'm still riding high off of the smile of that meeting uh, from from a couple of hours ago. But you asked me about yesterday, and I think the person that I probably had helped to smile last was probably my youngest son, who is almost fourteen, and uh, he, his siblings are all elsewhere, and I was able to take him out to dinner, just the two of us, and just have like a connecting, you know, when you can. Connect with an almost fourteen-year-old boy and have some laughs and giggles in there. That's a that's a pretty special moment. So those those are two of the last smilings.
0: Nice, nice, nice. Wow, you're really cool. Nice to hear that. (laughs) (laughs) Great. So uh, just moving to the final section is that. uh, So you mentioned that you're helping a lot of clients, you know, regarding the psychology and stuff. So I just like to explore a little bit about, you know, what you do. You know, it would be great for the audience to hear about it as well.
1: So here in the United States as a licensed psychologist one of the really big benefits that came out of the pandemic experience has been an expansion of our licensing. So if you go through what's called PsyPACT and you jump through all the hoops and you meet all the criteria it's not just a you know sign up and you're done you have to have to really qualify for this but once you qualify then you are licensed in the states that are participating. And right now, I believe, my last count anyway, it's like 33 states in -hmm. the United States that I am now licensed in. Before, we could not cross state lines. So if I was in Colorado, which I am now, and my client was in Arizona, I would not be able to see that person, one, because they're in Arizona, and two, uh, because my license wouldn't cover me seeing that person in that state. Now with virtual sessions and with the expansion of the licensing for for certain disciplines, clients have the ability to seek out services that fit for them. Hmm. I hear all the time, we have been to so many people and it hasn't worked and we've been referred to you and these are people that I have not met with face-to-face. These are people that are across the country and and my services speak to them in some particular way. And often, not always, but often that includes different technologies such as virtual reality. So both of us need to have a headset. Mm-hmm. And for some programs, one person could be 2D. Um, there's a really fun program called Akron. One person's in a headset. Everyone else, so I do family therapy with that and everyone else is on a on a mobile device kinds of things. But for the most part, they have a headset, I have a headset, and then we meet in multiplayer environments. There are all sorts of considerations that go into that, and we won't have time for the details of those things, but you want to make sure that you are communicating verbally through your 2D Zoom or whatever platform you're using in the United States, we have to have that be HIPAA compliant. So we have to have certain levels of protection in there. I don't advocate at any time communicating through the chat uh, Mm -hmm. or either written or, or verbal. The only way, the only reason I would advocate that actually a caveat would be if you wanted to see social interactions, intentionally wanted to see and experience social interactions in a multiplayer environment with the client, maybe they're having some social difficulties or whatever, but it would be an outlier, it would be intentional, and there would be therapeutic reasons. And you would talk about the potential pitfalls of that ahead of time. So in the informed consent arena, but for the most part, it's engaging with my clients in an environment, just the two of us there's a, there's a program called Township Tale. You go in, it's kind of medieval-esque. You go in, you can build different things, gather different materials, uh, all of that. And it can be just the two of you with a customized avatar. It's always interesting to hear and see what people's thought process is to go through of choosing and creating their avatar. You learn about somebody from that. So there are a lot of different components to it um I, I i think i answered your question to sort of the the mechanics of it how you would interact and uh, explore like go in watch youtube videos on different programs see what your client's needs are and see if there are programs out there that will meet those needs
0: got it got it yeah i think that makes sense and uh you know considering all the Uh, the license and all the things that you mentioned. I think slowly and steadily, there's a lot of improvements happening in the VR space. And I recently saw this news. I don't know how much of this is true that uh, some insurance company is going to cover the, uh, you know, uh, like a therapy or something that's going to happen in the VR space also. So like, you know, it's going to cover the insurance cost of that. So yeah, I think that's a a lot of great things are happening. And uh, and Jessica, thanks so much, you know, for explaining all the things, you know, very clearly and stuff. So uh, right now, tables turned. Is there anything else that you want to ask me? I,
1: I don't think so. I, I'm, I'm, I am curious. So maybe, maybe if you have a second to answer that, I'm curious of what your thought process is now of whether or not you're going to get a headset, recognizing it's a significant investment for sure.
0: Yeah, so... Investment is one part because uh, since I've been working in this uh, environment, it really helped me as a content creator also to give more authority to what I do. Uh, the main problem here in my, you know, state is that uh, it's since it's pretty new, the Indian VR market is not like pretty established yet, especially when it comes to MetaQuest, it's not pretty established yet. So uh, if I'm buying one, the you know, if in case anything's happening to my uh, headset, then i'm done i don't have anywhere i have to go at least like uh 500 kilometers to a different state and get that repaired and come so that's only thing that's kind of like stopping me from doing so and uh like i said as a marketing person i really love uh, new ways where you know people explore because i really believe that any new technology that comes in will somehow turn into a marketing front Uh, you know being a marketing guy that's what my mindset obviously will be so that's one of the reasons why it's kind of like uh just the service centers and stuff uh still really kind of stopping me from buying it. I'm st- I still have that in my cart. I, st- I just haven't placed the order yet. So yeah, maybe I when I, do. I,
1: I don't want to be uh insensitive to yeah. the the distance and the and the amenities and and all of that. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be insensitive to that at all and at the same time I want to say click purchase. <laughs> Go for it.
0: <laughs> exactly and right now i think you know meta is kind of really pushing the headsets to people to buy they are like you know reducing the cost and all of the headsets yes. you know they're really pushing because i think the meta quest 3 is sort of coming so that's why they're pushing that so yeah this is a good time for me to buy so i really have to go and push that button i guess
1: yes i would absolutely and then and then i want to hear from you what your experience is because i it's one thing to talk about it and it's one thing to experience it and exactly. it'll be a whole new world.
0: Exactly. Because uh, I'm really not much of a traveler. I do travel sometimes, but um, since this is kind of my whole setup by having here, and you know, if I'm not moving, then I you know at least I can do something with it, you know, with the hedges and then try to go somewhere and try to at least improve my brain, I guess. <laughs> I think that's what i want to do. Too. Yeah.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. I go all over the world. Frequently, you know, there are different programs. My favorite one is Wander and you put in a location and, and there you are. And you're looking at the Eiffel Tower or you're in Egypt, looking at the pyramids or you're visiting your childhood home or someplace that's significant to you. So um, I, I use that all the time. So I agree with you. It's uh, it's 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 pretty fun to to play games, but also then to go into other programs, experiences the Anne Frank House. You can do a whole tour of that. Like, there are just so many things that you can do that I could just keep talking on and on and on. So I, I will stop. But push, push, purchase when when you're able to do that, and uh, and it, I think you're gonna love it.
0: Sure, and I hopefully you know, uh, hopefully when this episode is published, I will have bought that headset. So you know, when I'm sending you the link, I'll send you a selfie as well. You know, making sure that you know I'm wearing the headset. So yeah, i will trying to do my perfect.
1: Best Great. <laughs> Love it!
0: Awesome. So, Jessica, thanks again, you know, for hopping onto the show. And if in case people want to find you or your services, you know, uh, where they can do, if you can list them out, that would be great.
1: Oh, sure. So, I have a website. It's my name, Jessica dot and then. Being of the older generation, I'm also on Facebook, and I have a a couple of things going on. I have a digital play therapy page where you can get a bunch of resources. I also have started a mental health virtual reality international coalition, so MHVR, international coalition. And you can find information on LinkedIn. Just look at my name. You can find me on LinkedIn. Uh, I put some information there on that. And then also there's a Facebook page about the MHVR involvement. We would love to have people international like i said so we have little pods that have different meeting times we come together we're writing white papers we're looking at standards um, we're exploring so many different aspects in, in development in education clinical uh, we would love to have people join that so those are some of the key places that they can find you.
0: Awesome. So guys, I'll definitely link every, you know, link in the description below. So you can go and check it out. And uh, Jessica, thanks again for hopping on to the show. And uh, guys, I'll see you in the next episode.